Welcome to the ArcaSpeak podcast. I'm Evan Troxell. Each episode, Neil Pan, Cormac Phelan, and I have a casual conversation about all things architecture, and we invite you to listen in as we talk about everything in the profession, both the good and the bad. Maybe you're considering a career in architecture, you're still in school, or you've been around the blocks of Corbusier's City of Tomorrow more times than you'd like to admit. Join us in the studio as we stand around the water cooler and talk about why we love our chosen profession. It's time for some Arcaspeak. All right, so welcome to episode 64 of the Arcaspeak podcast. I'm Neil Pan. I'm Evan Troxell. And I'm Cormac Phelan. And this week, we have a special guest joining us. We got Mark R. LePage from Entrepreneur Architect. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Hey, guys. Thanks for inviting me on your show. This is great. I love being back. Glad to have you. Absolutely. Well, this uh, for this episode, we, we asked Mark to join us because we talked uh, a couple episodes back about um, several different topics, and one of them kind of alluded to virtual office. And I know uh, Mark has... Um, in the in the recent past, has moved his office to working more virtually instead of a, in in one larger studio. So I, I thought he'd be a great guest to have on to kind of touch on that topic. So Mark, give us a, a a quick little recap of maybe why you're starting to work or why you chose to work virtually, and um, and then some of the thoughts or maybe lessons you've learned since you've started going virtually. Yeah, I mean, we um, we started the firm Five Cat Studio in 1999 from our basement in our house. Um, a few years later, we grew to the point where we needed space. And so we moved out. We had uh, little babies at the time and, and, uh, it was getting loud and complicated. And so we moved out to a, a space in the town next door, Pleasantville. And, uh, we were looking for about a thousand square feet and ended up with 2000 square feet because it was a good deal. And, uh, the first few years I actually sat in the corner office all by myself with 2000 square feet of space being heated. <laughs> which was not so a little good. early. Um, yeah, a little early. Um, but uh, we finally grew into it and, and uh, we were there for 11 years with a full staff and um, renewed our lease three times, two or three times. And uh, on the final round of renewals, the economy had, had uh, beaten us up pretty well and we were down to one uh, project manager who was working with us. So it was Anne-Marie, who's my partner and my wife. Um, and myself, and we had one project manager who had been with us for 10 years. Um, and we had this big studio and the, and the economy was clearly coming back. It was a, a November of 2013. Is that right? Yeah. About a year and a half ago. And so, um, we had to make a choice. We were either going to grow again, uh, and, and build back what we had, what we once had, uh, or, take an opportunity that we saw coming with these new virtual tools and the digital tools online um, and and launch a virtual studio, basically close the physical studio, take take the, the rent payment that we paid every month, which is a $3,500 rent payment every month, um, and, and not renew that lease, close that studio, downsize everything physically and, and you know, uh, uh, from a model point of view, and we built a new studio at home, and so that's where I work from now. Anne Marie has always worked from home; uh, she's always had her own studio, 
And so now we have two separate studios in our house that we work from. Um, we sent John home and John actually now is an independent contractor who leases his own office and does his own independent work and still works pretty much full time for us as a project manager in addition to uh, doing his own work now. And, uh, and so that's, that's why we, we decided to make the move from a physical studio to a virtual studio was really to, to, uh, to take the opportunity that was before us. There was the tools were there. Uh, the, the savings in rent was there and it was good timing. You know, the, the lease was coming up and, and, uh, and we needed to make that choice. So we decided to, and, 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 you know, I talk a lot about the integrated life of, of, as a small firm architect, you're, you know, much of our personal life and our business life become integrated. And even with that physical studio, we had a very integrated life and the virtual studio makes it even easier because now I'm literally at home and, uh, and I don't have a staff that's, you know, sitting next to me. And, and, uh, uh, so that integrated life works really well with this virtual studio model. So how did you decide to go even more virtual? I mean, you've physically moved locations. It sounds like, I mean, I'm just guessing that most likely it became like a delegation thing. How could you be more effective? So it's, you had to start reaching out to these. I know you've got John working remotely, do you have yes. other people who help you virtually? We, we do, and that was that was the intent. We did some research on what we were going to do before we did it, and, and the intent was to create a, a true virtual studio where um, we would build it back to what it once was, but do it virtually. Um, since then, we're now that we're doing it, we've sort of you know reconsidered that growing to that size uh, because it's so much more flexible to stay small and grow when you need it, project by project. Uh, so it's really a different model. Um, but we did, we do have other people other than John. We have two, um, uh, basically production people, draftsmen that are elsewhere in the country. Uh, and, uh, when we need them, we call on them we send them work and they do what they need to do. And then they send it back to us. So it's piecemeal freelance work. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's take a break here to talk about our first sponsor for the show, and that is RCAT. And everybody who listens to the show already knows about RCAT. But for those of you who don't, let's talk a little bit about them. Would you like someone to draw CAD details for you? Create BIM objects for you? Write specifications for you? Would you like someone to do it for free? RCAT has already done all of this for you. Search the RCAT libraries online for these products and more free of charge and no registration is required to download their content. RCAT has created a website devoted to you, the building professional, to find building product information fast and hassle-free. Check out RCAT today at rcat.com. That is A-R-C-A-T dot com. Thanks, RCAT, for sponsoring the Speak podcast. I wanted to ask you, um, how did you... Now, you had John in your office uh, for 10 years. Yep. Uh, you said you mentioned right. you have a couple other people. How did you find those people? Were they were they folk, uh, people that you knew from uh, in the past, or how did you go about finding some drafting help? Through my network, through um, through Twitter, literally through Twitter. Uh, somebody I know on Twitter actually recommended somebody who was working for them that way, uh, and then um, another one was was sort of just reaching out to the community again and found the second one. So that's how, how we did it. There's lots of different ways to kind of find people, though. Let me ask the project management um, question or the quintessential project manager question. How do you control mm-hmm. or review 
um, documents? How do you um, look at like you know the quality control of the stuff that you're you know putting out and stuff like that? You know, because when we have the physical office, we're sitting in there, we're you know having them you know hey print me out the latest set of this, and we sit down and they're sitting across the table and we're kind of redlining things and stuff like that, and it's a dialogue not only for project you know quality control but it's also in a way my way of using it as a tool to uh do some professional development for them uh how do you do that virtually yeah i i can i can tell you that doing it virtually is much more difficult you have to have much more discipline than in a physical studio because like you said in a physical studio the drawings are sitting right there on the table the people are sitting right there you're walking through the studio and a lot of that management and communication is happening right sort of spontaneously you're 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 communicating and collaborating every day just because you're sitting next to one another when you do that virtually it has to become part of a system it has to become uh, a routine that you go through and 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 you must be disciplined in order for it to be successful so what we do is everything that we're working on is on dropbox so we've we've abandoned our physical server that used to be uh, sitting in a closet. Now it's all on Dropbox. We work directly from Dropbox. And so uh, everything, all of our files, we're also a residential firm, a small residential firm. So so we're, it's a little bit different uh, just because of the, the scope of the work and the amount of drawings that we're working on. We're also working on uh, AutoCAD LT drawings. So the file sizes are smaller, uh, but it works beautifully. And there's no lag. Uh, it's all real time. Uh, so the work is there. So I can pull it down whenever I want to to check it. So I do check it um, depending on what we're working on and and, and uh, how often I need to check it. But I can check it on a regular basis. Um, up to this point, all of our communication has been through email or telephone or because John's local, we have a, a, a meeting in our studio, my studio here. Um, so it's sort of a, a hybrid at times um, where we do actually have somebody come into the physical studio to review things. Um, that actually has to happen more for me. I could tell you that, but I'll get back into that. The, 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 um, but to, to, to go on and check on Dropbox, I can review things, then email back and forth. My plan is to move to Slack. Slack is a, an app that you can download on your desktop and your, and all of your devices. It's similar to, ch- to chat, but it's all, stored and searchable and so you're no longer going back and forth on email you can eliminate your email uh collaboration and do it all through slack which is very very useful for this type of type of work um but that's how we do it we you know the the work is on the cloud uh john's working on it the other guys are working on it i could pull it down on a regular basis and review it and then communicate to them on what i want reviewed or, or revised. We've been doing a lot of um, go-to meetings and things like that where, you know, we'll have a, a camera set up to, you know, kind of if we're sketching and stuff like that, you know, you can kind of see and do a screen capture of red marks that say we're talking to uh, an engineer uh, 50 or so miles away from us and he can't make it in, but, you know, needs to be part of it. We've we've been doing things like that as well, which has been working out pretty good, actually. Um Evan, you've been using Slack, haven't you? Yeah, we're using Slack a little bit on a project, and I, I think it came out of more of a personal interest of mine. I, I've tried many different tools like that, communication tools over the years. Um, you know, we use Trello for the podcast, which which works pretty well for us as kind of a, a place to, to keep things. Um, 
the hardest thing I think about Slack working in an office environment like mine is getting other people to use it uh, because a lot of people just view tools like that just one more thing they have to check. Mm. And it, it's mm. difficult because email is the wrong tool, um, but but everyone's just so used to it that it's ingrained in the system and, and they use it. So it's really difficult to get people to try new things like that. And I think there's a lot of those great tools out there. And Slack is awesome because everything's searchable. It integrates with Dropbox and lots mm-hmm. of other things. And even Dropbox has been adding tools recently to make this type of work better by adding the ability to comment on specific documents mm-hmm. now that are in there, um, which right. Box has done for a while. So now Dropbox is kind of catching up in that game. But So that's nice, right? If, you, if you've made some changes to something, uh, you can... And, and the other nice thing about Dropbox is the the uh, version archiving, the history archiving. So you can roll back files if you need to, um, but but you can just add a comment now and just say, "Here's what changed," and you don't have to send an email to do that. So there's like automatic notifications and things like that. Well, it's just attached to the file, right? So the next time you go look at that file, you you can actually see those those comments that are attached to it. Uh, so things like that, I think, are great. And, and so a completely different perspective that I have coming from a larger studio is, so so we were all trained in architecture studios. And I think that what we're talking about is a much more common way for millennials to work because it, you don't have to go to architecture studio as much now in school, right? You can You can check in virtually. Classes are run over Blackboard. There's all these tools that are already being used in universities. But for us, this is uh, more of a, a different concept, right? Because there are still people in my firm who very much expect to see your butt in the seat every day. Hmm. And it is really yeah. hard for those type of people to accept the possibility that you can accomplish work somewhere else. Right. Which we all know is the case, but it's really hard to convince those people that that actually can happen, right? Because there are trust issues yeah. there, right? If, if they don't see you working, you are not working. So why am I paying you if you're not here? And, and so basically, yeah, and, and you're, there's, there's phones that are always connected. There's, there's all of our different devices that, you know, in, in this age of communication and connectedness, uh, that just don't even exist to those people. So if I'm up thinking at 3 a.m. about my project, I want to be able to just work on the project. And you don't have to track the time. You just have to know that I'm kind of always thinking about this right. stuff because that's right. normal human behavior. But there's just some kind of blind eye turned to that type of scenario, and they expect to see you there. So there's the ability for us to do work remotely and work with others all over the world virtually, um, but I think in, in larger studios, there's still a huge uh, weight being dragged from the past that, that is just kind of in denial that that's a possibility. They want to see you there. They want to make sure that the communication that's happening in the office has their input of experience all the time. Um, and I think that's really hard for the older generations to feel comfortable with because they're not actually feeling involved in the decisions that are being made. I think that'll change. I think that over time, it, it'll those big firms will evolve. I think they're just giant ships that need to turn, and it takes a very long time for those ships to turn. 
but it, with the tools that are here, there's no turning back. This is this is the future of architecture, and I don't think that firms, especially the big firms, will ever go purely virtual. They'll always be the big studios. Uh, even the small firms, they'll still be small, physical small firms. Um, but I think from a fr- the small studios will be the first. It's already happening. It, the small the small studios are shifting to this virtual model. The issue that large firms have to deal with is they're pulling from a talent pool that is fairly localized to themselves. Yeah. Where the virtual office, the beauty of it is you get to pull from a talent pool that is perhaps global, right? And so you can yeah, actually exactly. cherry pick the best of the best who are available to do that work versus the best of the best that are within a certain distance from your office. Or, you know, it's, it's either that or you're hiring people from somewhere and, and, and having them physically move into your location. And so as that light bulb slowly glows brighter and brighter, like, oh, we can actually pick right. people who are amazing, like, because really that's the goal, I think, of every firm is to have a bunch of employees who are 100% excellent at what they do. Uh, and it, the more we can do that, the smaller these teams can be, because those people are such high producers, they come up with amazing ideas. They are able to communicate extremely well with clients, um, which is probably another piece of the topic here is once you, you know, we have a lot of meetings with clients. So how do you do that virtually? But I think as, as that starts to, as that light bulb grows b- brighter and, and they realize that the, the talent pool, that the distance can become much larger to get better people until then, that's really what the hangup is, right? Is, is we, we just don't have the ability to see outside of those walls yet as a big firm. Yeah. And, and you know what? I think it's also, uh, it's really the middle. That's, that's the one that's, that's, um, inflexible because I think the very large firms, the global firms are already doing it. That's too. true. You know, I'm glad you said, I that. think that, you know, they're working in New York and then, you know, as time, as the time moves, as the sun moves, the project is moving to the next global studio and they keep working. They're working 24 hours a day now. They're, they've been doing it for years. Now the small firms are starting to pick it up and building their own small virtual st- firms. It's the firms in the middle that don't have global reach that are the ones that are stuck in the old way. I'm so glad you said that because that was exactly what, when Evan was talking about it. I was thinking about my own situation and you know, we're the small middle firm that I, I was just thinking about a meeting where I could have had it. You know, the client is 70 miles away on the eastern shore of Maryland, and they had to drive in. And we had to have all these people drive in to be in a uh, conference room. And we have the ability to do all of these things. It's just we don't because we haven't been able to get over the threshold of how do you convey these inf- this idea and information when I'm not staring you in the face. Well, and, and a funny little anecdote here is that you know, we, we use GoToMeeting quite a bit too because you know the ability to show what we're working on really does help bridge the gap between um, physical and virtual. And so we have, in our contracts, we have written in that there are a certain number of meetings, right? And this is, this is something that's just probably copied over from the last contract. And so there's this expectation yep. of there will be seven meetings during this <laughs> yeah. phase of the project. And what's funny is when when my principal comes and says, okay, so how many meetings have we had? And we go back and we look and, you know, because we're trying to track kind of where we're at with the project, how many more meetings we owe them, right? And 
the funny thing is, is it, the go-to meetings don't count. <laughs> Only the ones in person actually count. And I think that is so funny because we accomplish the same amount of work either way. Well, I, I, I guess I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth there. I, I actually do see a lot of value in, in meeting face-to-face um, because you pick up on a lot of nuance. It's valuable. But but at the no same doubt. time, I think that there that doesn't invalidate the go-to meeting at all. And so... There's definitely still this this mindset. I guess it's just a mindset yes. that uh, those don't count, and and I, that's funny to me. Why why do you not count those? I mean, you're still spending time in a meeting. I think what it what it is is we're actually putting ourselves in our clients' shoes, and we're assuming that they don't count <laughs> because okay. they want more meetings. They don't want less meetings, right, right? right? The clients want more, and so and we want less, and so we're kind of erring on the side of. Um, just being conservative when it comes to that. I think it may also be a remnant of your contract. Totally. You have to fulfill your yeah, contract. Yeah, and that's why I brought that up is because yeah. it's funny that th- there's so many things like that in our practice that are remnants, but we still do them just because they were there before. And we don't right. really right. rethink, why do we do it this way? Like sending physical samples or printouts for submittals and things like that. Or like material boards. Exactly. You know, it's so funny. People spend so much time composing these material boards when really like nowadays you can go to a website and download a bunch of images and do it in Photoshop and just send them a PDF. Uh, here's your material board. But I, I mean, I still get it. People want to touch this stuff. They want to see it. They want to hold yeah. it at an angle of the light and see how much glare comes off. You can't do that with a PDF. Yeah. Well, you know, and, and that still goes back to like my philosophy of you really can't do a building justice if you don't get out on site and so many people try to design a building without ever being physically present on, you know, on the site. And it's kind of the same thing as, you know, being in a meeting. There's still the mindset of, are you really getting things accomplished if you're not in the room together going through it? And so maybe that's why the contracts are somewhat still written the way they are and that we're not counting them as the meeting. I mean, hell, even phone I don't phone think calls. that's why they're written the way they are. I don't, I, oh, yeah, no, I don't that, think that's we've just a copy paste. It. Yeah, it's just copy-paste. But I do think it's worth having those conversations and actually talking about it. There are so many things in our yeah. offices that fall under the category of, hey, let's, let's just put these on the table and talk about them. Uh, because if we don't, I mean, we're just going to keep doing it how we've always done it, which is not the best answer. Wouldn't it be great if, if every four or five years... There's a team that's part of, you know, in the larger firms like you guys are in where they they assign a team and they they look at the entire process and they reevaluate whether the things that are happening are necessary anymore and what are we missing out and then sort of rebuild the process and then reintroduce it to the firm every four or five. Years. I think there is a huge reason to do that and one of the biggest ones is that in these larger firms you just see the overhead creep. Oh up, yeah, yeah, up, up. Yeah, and there are right. so many opportunities to go back and and cut that fat out because the I mean especially nowadays there's you know like back in okay back when you're hand drafting everything the deliverables were the same and in your meeting regime was the same but now since we've got so many things evolving we've got the Dropbox we've got the Slack we've got all of these other things that are helping us increase our productivity it should be. It should translate into bringing the overhead down, and um, right. so you're right, Mark. I mean, you know, we sh- that self evaluation every few years. I mean, hell, I was just looking at a, a set of specs of deliverables that we had in um, for at the you know once we turn in the O and Ms and give them our uh, our documents and everything. 
that it was still requesting a um, a printed out version on mylar. <laughs> Why? Mylar. Well, <laughs> the word can even spell check that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it's not in the modern dictionary. Well, that's that's crazy. But yeah. I, but I mean you know so yeah I mean that that sounds like a fantastic idea that is not just you know a nice to have that's a that's that's a necessity. <laughs> And and you you know you can pitch it to the to the leaders by saying this is going to save the, the firm money, you know if we're we're not only looking for the best way to do it but we're you're looking for the most efficient way to do it. The argument that I that I have well what I've said um, I think where this is coming from is uh, firms as they get bigger and bigger tend to do less and less uh, critical thinking because mm-hmm. it's it's really about tracking the things that are easy to track. Right? We can track all these things, therefore we should track all these things, and therefore someone has a job to do to track all of the things. When really, if the hard work is doing that critical thinking and reevaluating things and making changes, nobody wants to change. So, well, a, a, a small percentage wants to change and, and keep changing because we all know that change is inevitable. But in order to do that, it takes hard work and critical thinking. And so I think that a lot of firms fall back on just evaluating the metrics that you know of efficiency of tracking all of these things there's so many things that we could track but what things should we really be tracking those are two completely different topics and a lot of firms don't do the hard work of reevaluating that stuff because it is difficult and they have to rely typically on a younger generation to advise them because they're the ones who are savvy with the new tools and there is not a lot of trust there, right? The, all you're doing is trying to spend my money is is a way that they approach that a lot of times. Yeah, that's uh, that was very much the similar reaction when uh, um, I kind of, right when I started working there and, you know, a few years later, they finally listened and started to implement it, but it was uh, Newforma and the project management tracking tool. And you can basically track it throughout its entire process in life of the project and it's uh probably a i don't know if it's as intuitive as like say a slack that you use evan but you know it's still something that in my case of doing project management and then also doing a lot of ca it's helped reduce the amount of time that i'm spending on like the menial tasks of logging things in and trying to keep track of things through a log you know it can kind of help set those things up and took a while to kind of break that um, break that in and make it uh, something that was an office standard. And uh, we were doing everything by um, Excel and Word and, and things like that, which, you know... Email. Yeah, and, and email and stuff. And, Outlook. Yeah. And it's just, uh, it's helped increase productivity on several different phases of the project. And it's just, and that's, that's the way we're going. I mean, things are going to, tools are out there to make it easier if we're willing to accept them. And it really does cost money. These these virtual tools, these subscription models, there's all these things that are vying for our dollars. And so I understand the hesitation to jump into these things because there's already so much capital invested in hardware and software that it is difficult to constantly be changing because that, that equals dollar signs to a lot of people. 
But then you, we don't, we fail to look at the other side, which is that savings and that efficiency that is gained. Well, but see, Evan, you know, I mean, we've got in the larger firms and stuff. I mean, we can build that into a contract where you know, ultimately, these tools that we're um, using to increase productivity, we can kind of pad our return on our investment into um, future contracts and stuff. Let me ask Mark and Neil. I mean, as sole practitioners with one and or a couple of employees and stuff, I mean, these investments, I mean, and they're big investments. I mean, I know you guys don't use Revit, but, I mean, if you were to use Revit or something like that, I mean, and even AutoCAD, they're huge investments. I mean, when do you start to see return on your investment, and when does the value pay off? Well, I mean, for, for me, I mean, I, I'm using AutoCAD LT, and so, uh, and I and I use it for three or four years before I, I renew, um, because it, you know, for what I do for, for the small firm residential work, it works fine for me. And I know there's a whole nother conversation about BIM tools that we could have, but it's not for me, the virtual studio is nothing but a savings uh, because even all these tools, they, most of these tools have free versions that you can start with. Um, and then the, even when you do have to move up to the higher levels, they're still very minimally priced. Um, Dropbox, Evernote, uh, Slack, Nosebee, these are the tools that I use and they, they all come with free versions and they all are relatively well-priced and, and significantly under the $3,500 rent payment that I used to be paying. Yeah, yeah. Good, uh, And good so it's, it's nothing but savings for me. I think also from a process point of view, um, whether it's a small firm or the larger firms, it's dangerous to add these pieces piecemeal to say, okay, well, let's just use this new tool and plug it into the system that we're already working. And it may help, you know, it may make it more uh, efficient. But I think that if we looked at it as a whole, as an entire system, and maybe it's less than four or five years, maybe it's two years, um, and we reevaluate the whole process. And the larger firms, they can assign a team to it, and they could look at the savings that they may save in order to pay for that team, because I know pulling people resources from other projects uh, non-billable time is not fun to do, but if you look at it in terms of uh, being more efficient and being uh, uh, more uh, cost efficient, um, those reevaluations every two years would be very useful. From a from a small firm's point of view, we could do the same thing. We could we could you know go to our calendars and plug in a week where we evaluate, uh, take off that week. And have a retreat, look at all of our business, look at all of our systems, look at all of the process, and reevaluate it and see what we're using that works and what doesn't, and reinvent what we're doing every two years. So what about you, Neil? You know, for for me, um, right now, I, I use some of the same types of tools. Really, Dropbox is probably the biggest thing. And, and that's not a very expensive investment. It's it's only $100 or maybe 110 a year, and I get a terabyte. Of storage space, so I don't need a server, and you know, so there's there's savings there, uh, so that I don't have to maintain or have a server, um, and then with that I can share. Um, and this is something I wanted Mark to get a little bit more into uh, discussing his management of Dropbox, because for me I, I work pretty much by myself, and so um, where I have been using Dropbox to share files has been sometimes with uh, a couple of consultants that I've uh, had do some graphics work for me. But uh, also I'm finding some of my more uh, technical savvy clients are asking 
um, that I just upload uh, files to Dropbox so that they can then view them. And that doesn't happen with every client, but a couple of them have. As far as things like AutoCAD, I mean, um, to speak to that just briefly, I have LT and I looked at the subscription model for that because I, I do some consulting uh, with uh, other people and I need to have AutoCAD for that. And uh, the subscription price for LT, at least for the Mac, uh, was only about, I want to say maybe just over $300. I, I'll say $350, uh, but it was somewhere right about $350 for the year. And the advantage I saw there was okay, so if I go three years, I'm going to spend about $1,000 on AutoCAD LT for the Mac, um, and I'm upgrading every year. Uh, and and because I'm kind of working uh, by myself, that's not really a problem because I'm not having to manage multiple people upgrading at the same time and dealing with those issues. But um, I didn't have a problem with that level of the subscription price because it, it worked. Now, if you're flow, full-blown AutoCAD, it, it, that subscription price is much higher. But in my case with LT, it was fine. That price works out. And really $350 for a year for software. I mean, I make that up on the very first project I do. I can easily build in, or even if I want to just add you know, $100 to a fee to say, okay, and then on the next one, I'll add another $100. It pays for itself, I guess is what I'm saying. And so a $350 fee is not a huge barrier. It's not spending $4,000 for full-blown AutoCAD for a license that you keep. And, of course, they're getting rid of that sort of option anyway. So right. um, the other the other software I use is Vectorworks, um, and that one costs me about $650 a year. And, okay, that one's a little bit more expensive uh, to be on the subscription price, but I do get the upgrades each year. I have access to a lot of um, um, educational tools that they have online, uh, which I don't have as much time to spend to really do that. But the idea, I've always found it funny that that seems to be a huge barrier for a lot of people. And I often wonder about that. It's like, okay, well, how much money are you making? And I guess I've made the choice of like, for instance, do I want to spend $800 a year for my AIA membership or maybe $650 a year for the tool that I use every single day that actually makes me money? So I've made that choice to say, in my case, this is the choice I've made. But that's not a huge, I don't know, I don't see that as a huge fee. We're not talking multiple thousands of dollars. And you can build a, at least a few hundred dollars in every single project you do that easily pays for this. You know, just... Just take your, you know, remodel fee of whatever you're spending, and I don't know, six, seven thousand dollars, or four thousand dollars for a fee for doing a project, and say, okay, I'm going to add two hundred dollars to that, and after two or three of those, your software is paid for. I don't see a big issue with that. So anyway, that's that's probably a little sidebar to this, but but working virtually, you do have to buy your software, and sometimes you have to pay for certain tools that you use. I don't have a problem. I I used Dropbox for free for a long time. I only had about three and a half uh, gigabytes of space using the free version, and at some point in time, I needed access to all of my projects at any time from anywhere. And I said, okay, fine, I'm going to bite the bullet and spend the $100 a year. So now that I just build that into my operating cost. Yeah, Neil, I think back to the topic of paying for software, I, I find it crazy how many architects out there will only 
work with free applications, you know, like SketchUp Make, uh, or it, it, it kind of blows me away that, that you're a professional providing professional services and you don't have a piece of software. They spend so much time doing workarounds to make the free software work that they're, they just, it shows how much people don't value their own time that they put into things. Yeah. Uh, versus the cost, like you're saying, that you can amortize over several projects to get a professional tool that does everything in a much shorter amount of time. And so may, that's a probably a, a rabbit hole that, that we could go down, but uh, th- that always blows me away. How many people will, will strive and learn and spend so much time doing all these crazy workarounds so that they can output a PDF from this program or get a DWG from this, they, they just won't do it. You know, nobody, nobody wants to buy Photoshop or Illustrator or SketchUp Pro or, you know, the list goes on and on, but they will spend the hours and hours to do the workarounds. I'll add one thing to this. This is, um, you know, th- before we dive down that rabbit hole, but, um, yeah, well, let's not. Already, so, <laughs> yeah. Um, is that these software costs, I mean, as a sole proprietor, a small business, I write all of that off in my taxes. So well, well, and as a small firm, you just have to pay for yourself. You don't have that's one of the beauties of hiring freelancers to do this work that you and Mark do, mm-hmm. right? Is that you're not paying for someone else's computer or their software, which which you kind of are, right? You're paying an hourly rate or, or whatever it is. Sure. However you've got your contract worked out with them, but but you don't have to worry about having a site license for all this stuff. Right. Yeah. yeah so those costs yeah. you don't have um, and, and you're right. So, uh, so, so the small amount of costs that you do have to throw out there, um, is you can write all of that off on your taxes. And so uh, anyway, so that's just kind of my two cents on that. But, um, I think those are costs that, um, make working virtually and even in a small office, very affordable because of what you just said, Evan, you don't have a huge site license for, if I had yeah. uh, two or three people here, I'd have to pay for all of that. And then those costs do start to add up. But if I've got two or three people here, I better be making a hell of a lot more money generating a lot more work with those people. So again, you can kind of amortize it over multiple projects, a little bit here, a little bit there, and you it ends up paying for itself. So anyway, that's, that's my two cents on that. And I agree, people go to extreme lengths to uh, not pay for something when, again, if you're going to do CAD work and you need AutoCAD, LT is a very good option. It does 99% of everything I need and probably what you need, Mark, and it's $350 a year. You know, it's almost like that uh, unpaid intern philosophy. It's, you know, well, you know, they're learning a valuable tool, you know, valuable experience, and that's, you know, their pay. Yet this person is making money off of their work, but not wanting to pay for it. You know, so yep. that was yep. this kind just, of similar. Just uh, plug software developer because they have to feed their family too. Exactly. Use the intern title. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I think that the, the, Free versions have their value as evaluation. Oh yeah, tools. I mean because and really, if you read the software license agreement, that's what they're pretty much for. That's what they're intended for, mm-hmm. right? And and so all of these tools that we're talking about, they do have free versions, but the free versions are not intended to be used as the final version. They're intended to try them to see if they work into your system, and then if they do, then you invest in the full yeah. version. 
and then it becomes a much more powerful tool. Yeah, yep, agreed. There, there are so many software companies nowadays who are creating that model where once you pay for it, you unlock you know several other extremely useful features. Yeah, I yeah. mean, and and that's that's how they end up paying for their mortgages. But so many people, like you said, Mark, are just going so far to to not have to do that, and and it's it's really it's a disservice. It, it's it's like it's like the old days of Napster taking the music, right? I mean, it, the the artists need to get paid, the software developers need to get paid, just like the architects need to get paid. Yeah, just kind of circling back around on software as use of the virtual office, it's really actually good to see all of these major software companies like the Adobe's, like the Autodesk's and Vectorworks and things like that that are moving towards cloud subscriptions and cloud storage because um, it does make this model of developing the virtual office um, so much easier to do. Um, whereas, you know, and in, in not to say in my case where I want to go to work and then work in the office and then come home and continue to do work, but there is that opportunity if needed. Or, you know, Evan, like you know, we've talked about in the past and you said earlier, you know, if, if inspiration does strike me at 3 a.m. in the morning, um, you know, I'd like to be able to get up, um, log in, maybe do some something real quick um, and then kind of move on. And, uh, you know, it just makes it a lot easier. I mean, I, I like that analogy you gave, Mark, about, you know, um, as people are going to sleep in New York, you know, Los Angeles, they're still working. And, you know, and then next down the road, you know, they could continue to keep working on these projects in Tokyo. And as the globe spins, so does, you know, this whole interconnectedness. And I, I thought that was great. Yeah, I think I think it, it is the future. It's, I mean, it's already happening, but I think it is the future. I started to daydream when you were explaining uh, about it as um, I'm like, great. So here's HOK. Um, they're not, you know, one of the big firms here. They're going to make this big global like initiative. So it's going to be one big, um, one big global firm that just uh, all, all we do are just work on those projects. It's just like, hmm. we all work for the big HOK. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Mark, I wanted to, go back and and have you touch briefly on the management of because when you're dealing with a single office or even multiple office you may have a server and you know you you manage the server and people deal with all the files and everyone has access to it but when you start talking about working virtually file management becomes a a huge thing so it just touch on Dropbox, but also kind of the whole idea of file management when you've got multiple people working on different projects. Yeah, it, for me, it had really hasn't changed very much. I, I literally took the structure that was on the server uh, and moved it to Dropbox. And so I have a, 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 a folder in Dropbox for each project. And then in each project, I have it broken down into drawings and images and, and uh, documents and all the things that are typically in the other structure. Um, and we use it just like we used to use it in the studio. So it's it, for me, it hasn't really changed very much as far as the structure. Now, what about your um, virtual staff members? Do you take each project file or and say, okay, I'm going to share that one with just this person because it's the only one? Yeah, a Dropbox allows you to create a team folder. And so you can create a team in Dropbox and then assign... Uh, specific folders to that team and then they would have access to everything in that in that yeah, folder. okay um, and so you can have private 
folders, which I have most of mine are private. And then the projects that I have um, open to the team uh, are assigned to the to the team folders. And then if you're using a tool like Slack, you can actually also have those Dropbox folders integrated into mm-hmm. your different channels in there. So when you're you can keep all of the project communication in one place instead of having it in your inbox in email, which if you're like me, you've got several email addresses and it's just one big dumping ground. And if you want to file those things, you have to either set up a complex set of rules or you need to be very diligent about filing all those mail messages. Where in Slack, uh, this is the advantage of it, right? Is that is that those messages, there, there's kind of a, a general... You can set up channels within your team structure so that you can keep um, specific topics separate, but it's nice because it's project related. And so you can go back and see that paper trail and it's very fast to search in that uh, whole corpus of messages. So it's, it's a really great way to have team communication along with Dropbox cloud file storage. It works really well together. Now, Mark, in the virtual office, you mentioned um, Nosby, and I just, mm-hmm. can you talk, because uh, I, I see we've got, you know, we've kind of covered file management and, and the kind of the server idea. It seems like Dropbox, and there's there's some uh, several others, but Dropbox seems to be very popular with that. Um, communication, Slack, uh, that you're working with. What about, you know, Nosby is a project management and task thing. So how, how do you use that, and how, why is that one working best for you? Yeah, I use Nosby. I don't use full blast Nosby for project management. I use it for my task management and I, all my entire getting things done process, process, uh, is in Nosby. And it's, I just have it for me. You can set it up as a full project management team tool like Trello and, and Asana. Um, but, but it's, it's very well suited for task management. And that's what I use it for. Um, I have all of my personal projects, all my entrepreneur architect projects, all of my five cat projects that I'm involved with are on Nosby. And then I have all of my tasks for each one of those, uh, listed under those projects. And then I could prioritize those through Nosby. And so I could just go to my priority button and see what I'm supposed to be working on right now. And so that's, that's, that's sort of more of a, uh, productivity, getting things done tool for me than it is a project management tool for me. So do you think, is there a, a different tool or you just don't need project management to, sort of software for the types of things you do? Um, I'm doing it all through email and and uh, and Slack right now. Um, I'm moving from the problem, the problem even on the small firms, when you have a team that has done things a specific way for all these years, um, we're still working and communicating through email. Um, the new I've worked with virtual staff, administrative staff, uh, and that when I brought on new people, I used Slack and it worked really well. Um, I've used Asana also, but Asana was for me was a little bit too much. You know, there's just so many bells and whistles in Asana uh, that it was just too much for what I needed. And what what I'm really trying to do is really find the essential tools and the essential elements uh, to make it as simple as possible. And so I'm really trying to find the, the minimal solution. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's, it's really becoming Dropbox and Slack. 
Uh, and and Evernote is also becoming integrated into that system because I think Evernote is a great tool um, to for your everyday everything, all of your files, everything that 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 I'm I'm, I'm also trying to go paperless, and that's how I'm doing it. I'm scanning everything into Evernote, um, and all my important emails are being forwarded to Evernote, and so that's that tool is also becoming an invaluable tool. But it's also a great tool to share the documents that you want to share with your clients rather than giving them access to one of your folders and having them to figure out a way to open up the files. You can actually have a folder or a notebook in Evernote and then share it with your client. And then anything that you want them to specifically have, maybe the inspiration photos and the, all the, the uh, copy of your contract, a copy of the, uh, benchmark uh, drawings can all be in that shared folder, and then they have access just to that one Evernote folder. I also find Evernote is a great place to keep reference material yeah. uh, because it is all searchable. Uh, even even PDFs or photographs are are all OCR'd, right? So right, if yeah. you're if you have the the Pro account, which which I do, I find it invaluable. Uh, yeah. Then then that makes a lot more sense. And they've even gone kind of the Slack route as well, where you can have uh, work chats, right? Within right. every folder can be have a separate chat associated with it so that you can, again, keep conversations compartmentalized per project if you wanted to. And that's right. awesome. And I think the value in all of these tools that we're talking about are that they are on all devices. And I think that's one of the reasons why Evernote and Dropbox and Slack have become so prolific is because they're just available to everyone. It doesn't matter what platform you're on. Um, and it doesn't matter where you are. You always have access to it as long as you have an internet connection. Which, real quick, back to Cormac's love of the subscription model, <laughs> is that uh, I just saw somebody posted on Facebook the other day, oh, this is why subscription models suck. I can't, I don't have an internet connection, um, or I didn't have an internet connection, and I and and they just, it wouldn't even start up for me. So there's definitely still some growing pains, I think, that all oh, this is going yeah. through. yeah, I mean, really... I'm just saying that... No, you love it. I do. (laughs) (laughs) I do. Um, But I'm just saying that, you know, we're in the infancy of all of these ways of coming out of the old model of how we do projects and stuff. And these bigger companies are starting to recognize that we're moving away from Neil's pen and paper and stone tablets to something a little bit more virtual so we don't have to have butts in the seat and that we can have interconnectedness beyond the internal office and we're all getting there i mean the it's um it's going to take a while i mean um the creative or the uh, not creative cloud um but the uh the cloud for revit is um is very cumbersome and slow and things like that and um you know as we start to uh develop all of that it's going to get a lot better but it's just, you know, all of these things that we've been talking about, all these different programs and stuff, are there as um, facilitators to move to the next phase of office management. And it's just, you know, we're, you know, like you guys have been talking about, it's what's the right mix for you? And I think that as long as there's these companies out there that are st- seeing these these changes and are keeping up with them and listening to, you know, their subscribers and stuff like that, that... It's they're going to be part of the menu and not be left behind. I, I just want to say a couple of things about the subscription model and and 
how I think it helps benefit those of us that are trying to work more virtually or in smaller firms. There are two things. One, the cost to entry to using a software tool. So a lot of these things that we've mentioned, even things like Evernote or Dropbox or Nosby, Asana, um, all of these things years ago would have just been extremely expensive mm-hmm. um, to, to, to use and to get into. Um, there were not a whole lot of free versions, or even if it was, you okay, you can have a trial for 90 days or something like that. But then it's like, okay, if you're going to start using this, it wasn't like, okay, Evernote Pro account. I don't know. I can't remember. I'll, I'll just say Dropbox because I can't remember the Evernote Pro account cost. But I mean, Dropbox, like $100 a year. It's not that expensive to to get into where uh, a decade or more ago to get into something like that or to use a tool like Nosby, we're talking thousands of dollars a year. Oh, yeah. Hey, buy AutoCAD, right? Four thousand dollars a seat. Yeah. Nowadays, it's a license, at least for LT, three hundred dollars, three hundred and fifty dollars a year. So so that that cost to entry is lower. It helps the smaller firms. The second thing I wanted to say about subscriptions. Uh, that I think it helps um, all of us is that there's a constant inflow of profit or, or, or revenue for these companies. And, and I'm going to use Vectorworks as a good example. Vectorworks has been around for decades. It was Minicad before that. And um, since they've sort of started to move to this more um, subscription-based model, the level of development and investment by the company has grown substantially because they have a, not maybe not a guaranteed, but at least a more um, predictable revenue stream that they can go, okay, we're going to make a certain amount of money because we have a certain number of subscribers. Therefore, we can turn that around and invest more in development of the software. And so I think there's a huge benefit that we see more frequent updates. We see larger updates because they have the money to do it. They're not waiting. As Mark said, I'm going to upgrade AutoCAD every three years. Well, that means that in those intervening three years, AutoCAD makes no money off of Mark. And therefore, it's much more difficult to invest and do updates to the software. I mean, we used to see software updates every three or four years, right? I mean, because that's the way things were done. Now we're seeing many more upgrades. Well, now our apps are updating in the background all the time, and it's just expected. So anyway, there's a couple of comments, but I think that those, all of those benefit the virtual studio because of the lower cost of entry and then more development for the tools that we're actually using. Well, it, it's not just the virtual studio. It also helps the sole practitioner or the really small firms. I mean, when in 2005, when I went out on my own with uh, some college buddies of mine, and uh, things were good, except for, you know, we had exorbitant costs in hardware and all of our software and everything else, that when the economy started to take a downturn and stuff like that, you know, I mean, those upfront costs and those major software costs really kind of hurt us because we were paying tons and tons of money on all of, you know, on Adobe Suites, on the AutoCADs and everything else. And we're just, you know, there's a lot of expenditure and it's, and it is making it a lot easier to not only level the playing field between the sole practitioner and the larger on the costs 
I mean, because they their model really was built for, you know, okay, 5Cat can, you know, can't afford this, but HOK can. We're going to market all of our stuff to HOK because we know that they can buy all of our material at $10,000 a seat or whatever it was. And, you know, we don't really need to worry about the, the 5Cats because, you know, they, whatever. And that was kind of their thing. But now that they see a lot more virtualization of the office and um, sole practitioners who want and need their um, services it that's where they're starting to pay attention i mean it's it's kind of like how uh, everybody's had this bad taste in their mouth about the aia and i was gonna say are you talking about the aia <laughs> a little of both you know where they were zing where they were paying attention to the big firms that were paying them the, the uh, their operating budget and stuff and even though a lot of their uh, money was probably coming from the the solo guys they we're more paying attention to them and now they're turning around and saying you know i've got to pay attention to everybody and it's kind of the same with uh, all of the software people let's take another break from this episode to talk about our next sponsor which is architect exam prep for those of you who are not yet licensed architect exam prep provides an affordable set of study tools to help you conquer the ares the study guides are proven to get you passing the exams because our listeners have told us that that's what happened for them Help yourself pass the ARE by visiting our special page at arcaspeakpodcast.com slash ARE and use that link provided to purchase your study guides. They even have a new package that includes all of the study materials needed for all of the exams in one big download. And these are the best study guides around. So make sure you check out the link at arcaspeakpodcast.com slash ARE and use that link so that they know that Arcaspeak Podcast sent you to them. Thanks to Architect Exam Prep for once again sponsoring the show. All right, I have a I have a final topic we could wrap this up with, perhaps. Talking about all the virtual office stuff, let's let's kind of flip the table here and talk about what do you guys miss the most about the physical office. So, but because personally, I I feel like as a, as a one of the creative members of the team, which everybody's creative, but I I'm doing design work. I find that working with other people in the same room and kind of having those creative volleys back and forth and, and charrettes and critiques and all of these things that happen on a daily basis are invaluable to making the project better. And so to me, that's probably one of the biggest things that I would miss from working independently and virtually. And then, and then also, this is something that firms are going to struggle with more and more. And so how do we attract people to come work in our physical offices, when I know you guys are trying to answer that question, but from the virtual perspective, how do you attract people? How do you find the right people? Let, let's just finish up kind of talking about that. And I'd like to get your perspective, Mark, of is there anything that you miss from being in the same physical environment as other team members? Uh, definitely the same as you. And that's the first thing is the, is the serendipity of design that, that uh, the conversation that you overhear and you can become part of while you're in the physical studio or, or walking past uh, s- some sketches on a, on a drafting mm-hmm. board and stop to talk about them. That doesn't happen at all yeah. in a vir- virtual studio. And, and the opportunities that come from them are endless. And so that's a big negative of the virtual studio. And I think over time, there'll be tools that will compensate for that. I believe that the, that the communication tools and the go-to meeting kind of uh, video conference tools 
will will eventually become real time video tools where your team is sitting literally right next to you that you'll be working on one monitor and on another monitor next to you will be your team working. unless you're in different time uh, zones <laughs> yeah unless you're in different time zones but if you're working at the same time those those that's that there are already tools that do that and i think that will be uh, part of the future of virtual studio is that your team will literally be sitting there working with you if you choose for that to be the model uh, because I also think the benefit of the virtual studio is that it it it's no longer time based it becomes uh, production based and, and merit based that that as long as the work is getting done at the quality level that you want it to be done I don't care when you're working you know uh, my my project manager uh, on Thursday afternoon, wraps things up here in Westchester and heads out to Long Island to his beach house and works all weekend long from the beach house. And he rides his bike when he feels like it, and he does what he wants, and then the projects get done. And I don't care what he's doing or when he's doing it as long as the projects are getting done. Um, but th- there's there's a tremendous amount of trust that's involved in something like that and um, and a mindset set shift that must happen for that to exactly. happen. The other piece that that's really critical to the success of a virtual studio is that you really need to learn how to delegate um, because you can very easily sit here all by yourself in this room with no influence from the outside and try to do everything yourself. And if you think that it's difficult to delegate when you're in a physical studio, it's, it's 10 times harder when you're sitting all by yourself in, in this virtual studio. Yeah. And, and not only is that super important for, for you, but it's important to the profession to raise up that next level and and be a mentor to somebody else and teach and i think that's also something that i would miss is Mm -hmm. just overhearing other conversations that are going on in the office that are about things that i don't do on a daily basis but i'm get i'm catching a glimpse of and for young people that's extremely important right um and and the further we go away from having people in the room the harder and harder that becomes unless people are making their conversations public uh, on twitter or on these different communication tools that we have which i think is extra work right so it's it's less likely that that's going to happen yeah and i've reached out to id or to ncarb and and technically you can do remote internships whether that's a good idea or not is a whole nother conversation because i think a majority of an internship is them watching you doing what you're doing uh, and being part of it and, and experiencing the process yeah. that you go through. The dialogue and the discussion. Um, and, you lo- and you lose that when you're doing that virtually. It's not just about doing the work and having somebody check it and tell you, tell you what you did wrong. And so the virtual internship is certainly something that I don't know how that, that problem gets solved if, if we move to a virtual-based uh, you know, uh, profession, uh, how that how NCARB reacts to that and how, how we can encourage internships to be more physical. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I, but from the other side, I think, you know, we hear our friends, um, Rosa Shang and Emily Grandstaff Rice talking about equity, um, and, and women in architecture. And I think the virtual studio is a huge part of the solution to that problem is that when you have the flexibility of working when you want and how you want, um, there's a whole part of our profession who is struggling to ch- find That's a place. Um, and I think that when the big firms, as well as the small firms, beca- change their mindset from time-based uh, project management to production-based project management, 
and getting things yeah, done results no matter when they yeah. get done yeah results based that 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 problem becomes less of a problem from that point of view of that problem i was going to say cuz there's a lot of people who i've had you know discussions with i've had them you know with people in our office and stuff who you know when they choose to start a family and stuff they feel like they've got to give up the profession to go and spend quality time raising their kids and stuff and this helps level that playing field so no you don't have to give up the the profession and do all of these things it's you just have to give up more of your sleep well that too that's another that's a good point though evan because another piece of this virtual puzzle is that that a virtual studio takes tremendous amount of discipline Mm -hmm. and scheduling um, because again, it's very easy. It's so I could literally right? sit in my studio yeah. and I could sit here 24 hours a right. day and never find the end of hmm, my You have work. to have those boundaries, it, right? Right. Exactly. So I, especially when I want to integrate it with my family. So it's all scheduled. It's, it's figuring out where, where the most important things are in my entire life and then making sure those things happen at the, at the right time. And they don't, it's, it doesn't just happen. It has to be intentional. And I would say even further than that, you have to have some kind of accountability partners who, in, in, whether that's your mm-hmm. spouse or your kids or, or anybody, a good friend who says, no, you're not supposed to be working right now. And, and they know what your schedules are and, and they, they help you with that because I, it is a very difficult thing to be that disciplined, yeah. first of all, but then also to know when to stop. Right. So, great points. And a great place to stop. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So with that, if you have any questions or comments, visit the website at arcuspeakpodcast.com. There you'll find links to our individual Twitter accounts and the Arcuspeak Podcast Facebook page so you too can join in on the conversation. And if you have anything to add to this particular topic or any other thing, make sure you call the Arcuspeak Podcast hotline at 415 415- Four eight four eight four nine six, and uh, if we can use it and you want us to, we can uh, actually share it on the show. And I, I have a feeling we're going to get some thoughts on on this one. Uh, so uh, please uh, call in four one five four eight four eight four nine six and uh, let us know your thoughts. And if you haven't already done so, uh, please leave us a review on iTunes. That helps uh, get some exposure and, and gives us a little bit of feedback too. So we we appreciate those and. Uh, before we leave, I want to uh, say special thanks to Mark LePage for joining us for this. This, is, this has been great. Thank you, Mark. Absolutely. You're very welcome. Thanks for the invitation. I love uh, hanging out with you guys. Where's the best place that people can find out more about everything that you're up to, Mark? Uh, EntreeArchitect.com is, uh, is my world over there. And uh, I would love to uh, just put a, a plug in for Entree Architect Academy. And uh, anybody interested in, uh, in joining a, a private membership group is uh, entrearchitect.com slash academy. And you could uh, sign up for a mailing list there. And when enrollment opens up, you'll be notified. And I've had the pleasure of meeting a lot of those people who are involved in the academy. And I, I have to say that you guys have created a great community that tackles a lot of the difficult issues of small firm just running a firm and and all of the kind of things that we're talking about today it sounds like you have a really tight-knit group of just discussion and and throwing these ideas around and and you get a lot of great input in there so it sounds like a really valuable tool for for the small firm owners and yeah it, it, it I, we have a great time in there it's it's really become much like a family uh and we're we're in there just helping one another succeed that's great i've said it a few times to you mark and i honestly wish that when i was uh 
going through my struggles when I was out on my own. I honestly wish you were there for me. <laughs> so, uh, but you're but you're there now, right? Yeah, yeah. Sincerely, thank you for everything that you're doing over there at Entree Architect. You're welcome. Thanks for thanks for uh, being a part of it. All right, thank you. Thanks, guys. Bye. 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 Oh, you can bet, I know